Welcome to God Pod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre in London, based at Holy Trinity Brompton. Mike Lloyd and Jane Williams join me, Graham Tomlin, in talking about theology, life, God, and just about everything else. Well, hello, and welcome to God Pod number 34. And um, we have uh, Mike here this morning. Good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. And also Jane. Yes, good morning from me. So it's very good, um, all three of us here. But we also have a, a special guest who is uh, Ken Costa. Morning. Good morning. Good morning, Ken. Ken is, uh, for those of you who don't know, chairman of Lazards International, which is an investment bank. It is. Uh, based in the city of London? Uh, almost. Not quite in the city of London, and much more agreeably in the West End of London. Uh, less traffic. <laughs> less traffic, less buildings, less people. That's very good. And um, uh, Ken is also, of course, church warden at Holy Trinity Brompton and um, chairman of Alpha International. Absolutely. And lots yeah. of other things as well. This and that, yeah. Yeah, lots of other things you do, Ken. But uh, Ken, it's great that you can come and join us this morning on um, on GodPod. And uh, we've um, just got a, a number of things that we want to um, explore today, lots of different issues uh, around. One, I mean, one thing that um, um, we were just talking about just before we started this was um, Zimbabwe. And uh, I mean... Because, Jane, you were sharing some thoughts about that. And, Ken, you're from that part of the world as well, from South Africa, aren't you? So, um, Yeah, South Africa more than Zoom, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, but um, it's, Jane? It's very much on my heart at the moment, partly because the Archbishops of Canterbury and York have just asked all of us to pray for Zimbabwe. And um, we all know it's dangerous to pray for something if you don't intend to do anything about it, because mm. uh, God mm. may have other ideas. But um, particularly to pray for our fellow Anglicans, those of us who are Anglicans, our fellow Christians in Zimbabwe, um, the the previous bishop of Harare um, was not invited to the Lambeth Conference and um, therefore decided he wasn't going to be part of the Anglican Church anymore, uh, but has also held on to a lot of the resources and church church buildings and so on in Harare. Mm. And the new Anglican bishop of Harare is um, really struggling. Uh, he's come out of retirement, um, especially to help his church through, and we really need to be praying for them. Mm. What's his name? The new bishop mm. is called Sebastian Bacare. Okay. And if we can pray for him and the people of Zimbabwe. And, mm. and um, we are, through um, the Anglican Church offices, getting a lot of emails from Christians in Zimbabwe saying, we just can't do this anymore. We can't do this on our own mm. anymore. It's just too much. Mm. Um, the, the poverty rates, the inflation rates, the, the, the oppression, the, the beating and bullying. I mean, mm. we just really need to be thinking about Zimbabwe, praying for Zimbabwe, and, and yeah. using any kind of pressure that we have to, to, to bring change for what was one of the most um, influential and pleasant parts of Southern Africa. And mm. it's now completely, and just within 10 years, it's gone down fewer than fewer mm. years, and that's just gone completely mm. um, down the sink. Mm. Okay, Ken, from your experience of life under apartheid in South Africa, and this is some time ago now, I guess, but do you have any thoughts on... The situation there and what can be done. Yeah, I mean, I do. I think. I mean, I think that it's a, it's always a test of um, the the degree <coughs> of, um, uh, of of a society's health as to the moral choices it inflicts upon its people. And in the case of Zimbabwe, you have a, a an extraordinary example where the state has inflicted desperate moral choices on all the people. Mm you know, to live, to use the official rate of exchange rather than than the uh, the black markets mm. or the, the normal rates of exchange. These are big issues that people have to grapple with every mm. day of their lives. 
And, you know, that gives you, that's a barometer of how that society has, mm. has actually uh, gone wrong. And, of course, it is a tragedy uh, because there is a supposed view that says that, you know, Mugabe is really a, a liberationist. He has brought freedom to mm. the people and therefore all of the African leaders will try and stand by him, have quiet diplomacy or whatever it is, and meanwhile the people mm. are starving. Uh, and just at the moment, I mean, this is a very, very critical issue for us. There is a financial crisis in the world, but in my view it's only half of the real crisis in the world. The real crisis in the world is uh, the unbelievable escalation of food prices, mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, you might not take your car out on a Sunday afternoon, but you need bread, you need rice. You, if these prices are growing at that rate, and Zimbabwe could be feeding its own people and exporting mm. it, it is a moral, mm. it's a moral shame, and it's mm. a shame on all of us. Oh. So I agree entirely with Jane, you know, that uh, you know, we, sh we, we need a, a, a to rethink um, how mm. we respond, particularly yeah. as we as Christians respond mm. to those cheerful, wonderful, amazing people in Zimbabwe who have the worst of the moral crises to deal with. And, and how, when you were uh, in South Africa under apartheid, you, you know, there's dealing with a regime like that uh, that's imposing those moral choices and conditions on people. Um, how does one oppose that, resist that in a way that's constructive rather than destructive? And are there any lessons to be learned for the Zimbabwe situation? I, I really do think, I mean, I do, I mean again, um, you know, I, I, I remember, uh, which I mentioned in the sort of God at Work book, you know, that <coughs> hope really matters. Mm. And in that case, it was the World Service of the BBC, you know, you know, these crackling shortwave radios, you picked mm. up a message uh, that outside of this world because the, the, what happens in regimes of this kind is you actually think this is normative mm. Right? Mm. and you need hope to come and hope is both uh, comes in a, in, a, in a philosophy, I, this is what we live and believe, but hope also comes in practical day-to-day -day realities of feeding yourself and, and others you know, sort of learning from each other. Mm -hmm. So I think that both the encouragement of, you know, of letters, of money, support, mm. all these mm. things, uh, but above all the human contact, mm. you know, that without, outside of this insane society, there is a world of, of, of sanity, of, mm. of, of, of hope that is, that is a Christian mm. hope of, mm. of resurrection. As it will come, Zimbabwe will turn the corner. Mm. Yeah. It takes a long time, then. And is, it a, I mean, is there something in this about the very dangerous seductiveness of power and the you know the ability of power to kind of get hold of a person or a regime to such an extent that they just cannot give it up even when the will of the people seems to be quite clear that they should do that and that seems to be something that's going or on when they're 82 i mean you could have thought to retire, to retire. Yep. but power does something to yep. you well there is a suggestion isn't there that it that um that's a lot of the the people in lesser positions of power have invested in his presidency mm. and mm. their jobs also depend upon him being in power. Yeah. So, so, so our not whole not system is... Sure. Yeah. Well, and, it's, and of course, it's the... I mean, the real difficulty there is how to give them the immunity from the prosecution for mm. the very mm. crimes that they should be prosecuted for. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. again, you have another moral dilemma mm. there, but it yes. seems to me that the, almost any price 
including the forgiveness or the forgetting of what they did to that country yeah. to get them out yeah. and to begin the process of restoring mm-hmm. people to be able to eat yeah. as the first step to freedom. Yeah. And it's very difficult to talk about this without sounding like... Um, uh, wh- white um, um, empire builders. I mean, it, it in, in one sense is up to the, the people of Zimbabwe uh, and it's not for us to impose a solution on them. But we're just getting so many letters and emails from people saying we actually need exactly what you're talking about, Ken, that hope that there is a bigger world out there, that we are part of a society that actually recognizes this is not a good way to live and they and they need some help um, which is I, and I hope help is not the same as telling people what they have to do mm-hmm. but Jane I think you're absolutely right although I do think there's something that has happened that is different which now legitimizes uh, our intervention in a much bolder way in that the people have spoken yes mm-hmm. there, there has been an election yes. Uh, they have said what they want, uh, which mm. is that there is a majority that is against the ruling regime by almost every test that you want to use, and I ever rigged it. And I think that creates the opening for yeah. us to say, not only we all Christians together, we therefore share the values of the faith, but we have a legitimate opportunity to intervene to support them mm. in the exercise mm of their God-given rights mm. to determine how they wish to be governed. Mm. So whereas that used to be the case, mm. I actually think we need skillfully to mm. change the nature of the argument from the colonial imperialist, we're going to show you how to do it, is we're right behind you to fulfill that which mm. you have chosen mm. to do. Mm. Mm. slightly. I mean, well, very, very, the kind of theological yeah, issues behind this, in a sense, are, I suppose, first of all, <laughs> the absolute necessity to talk about political issues if one's going to be faithful <laughs> to the gospel yes. the, the old divorce between the two is simply uh, you know jesus is either lord in which case that involves the political realm and involves speaking out in the political realm where that lordship is denied uh, or, or he isn't mm. and um so that that's one holy issue and i suppose the other one relating to what you were saying about the the anglican archbishop there is the absolute essential nature of the unity of the church Uh, and when somebody goes off and fragments the church out of peak or or whatever um, that actually diminishes the witness that the church can take within a land that's torn apart with division as it is well it is um i mean we're actually uh, whenever you're listening to this we are recording this on um ascension day and uh, ascension day of course is is the day of in which it's the kind of coronation of christ it's the the, the 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 raising of Christ to the right hand of God, to say that He is the only the one and only true Lord of of heaven and earth, and that no other claimant to that throne has any credibility. And and I guess in one sense for for Zimbabwe, that's both <coughs> it's both good news in one sense, as you were saying, Kenny, you know, this this will come to an end that Jesus Christ is Lord, not Robert Mugabe. Um, but on the other hand, it's a, there's a sort of demand there as well that there they they cannot they you know, they, they cannot be sort of bowing the knee to any other mm. claimant to that rulership, not a, which is, seems to be what Mugabe is trying to do. But interesting, actually, I mean, I'm very indebted to Mike because for this thought that he sowed <laughs> uh, uh, on, on the ascension, which was, if I remember it correctly, Mike, and I probably will misquote you, that the great truth of the ascension, such a difficult um, um, theological truth to grab, is the assurance that the bridge... Uh, between mm. where we are and where he is is still intact. Mm. 
And I think that's mm. extraordinarily helpful if you're in Zimbabwe, mm. is, the, is again the, the, the message that actually the, the bridges, and we should work towards that, making sure that the bridge is intact, not only in the Lordship of Christ and his involvement in the day to day, we can still trust him. He's gone over the bridge, we can cross that bridge, mm. but also the bridge between where they are and where we are in a more liberated mm. space, yes. mm. that that bridge is intact. That's not a. No, I think I think you got it entirely right. Entirely right. No, no, I think it's entirely right. Uh, And I was actually just in preparation for preaching on the Ascension uh, today. I was reading Oliver O'Donovan and his book, The Desire of the Nations, yesterday, where he talks about the Ascension as the bridge between the present and the future, Mm -hmm. Uh, where we are now, and and the Second Coming of Christ, the Parousia. The Ascension is what holds those two things Mm -hmm. together and assures Mm -hmm. us of the coming kingdom in its in its fullness because of the presence of the king, obviously. Mm. Um, so I think that, again, is, a, is a, an undergirding of hope mm. Mm. Uh, for people in, the, in these very severe situations. Good. It'd be good to um, move on to another area. And um, Ken, you've been uh, involved quite a bit recently in uh, setting up a whole range of resources around this um, theme of God at work and written a very good book um, called Ooh, God at Work. Well, <laughs> um, hardly a theological book. Yeah, it's very, very good. It's got a lot of theology in it. <laughs> and it's uh, published by Alpha Publications. So it if uh, anybody wants to buy that, you can get that from Amazon or through the Alpha website. Um, but um, can you tell us a little about the whole God at Work adventure and how that came about and what you're trying to do in it well i suppose it all started on this whole question of the, you know the lordship of 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 christ what does what, what kind of does it mean you know is the lord of mercy also the lord of the money market mm-hmm. is the lord of profit also the lord of prayer i happen to think that that he he is and if he is there are consequences to it and there are day-to-day consequences to enable people to live lives uh, that are that are enriched by what they actually do in work in itself, rather than I'm in the workplace for some collateral motive, mm. you know, to evangelise people, to mm. make some money, to whatever. There is a, there is a call because it is deeply rooted in the very nature of, the, of creation. If one reads those creation stories, that there is a, a, a context to our our day-to-day living and therefore that the split between uh, you know the, the sort of a god zone and a god-free zone mm. uh, was of course a, a, tra- a tragedy uh, for, for mm. however you know, the historians will tell us however we got to this place mm. yeah. some for very good reason we want to separate church and state you know sort of it's unimaginable by the way if one talks to a Muslim Mm. That the that you could to separate his Islamic faith or indeed the Jewish faith from what you're actually doing all day long, and one of the disasters for the church in this country and indeed worldwide, uh, in the developed world, is that the church has become quite irrelevant to speaking to people's daily <coughs> lives, and when you spend ninety percent of your time at work or eighty percent or whatever it is, we take sleep out of it. You then realise that the church got nothing to say to an enormous number of people, mm-hmm. and so that grappled with it. And constantly, people kept saying, "You know, well, how can you be a banker and uh, and a Christian?" Well, to me, the question is, "Well, how can you ask me that question?" Mm. <laughs> you know, this, because in asking the question, you've immediately created the very dichotomy which I don't believe exists. Mm. But, but did you find, in <clears throat> you were as, as you grew up as a Christian and, and were working that the church, how good was it at supporting you 
for that percentage of time that you're in, in the workplace? Well, I mean, I come from a very privileged church in HTV, and so, yes. we, you know, it's wonderful and everything uh, that <laughs> one would go with the churches. Uh, but I think if I were to point something generally, it would be, and through no fault of the, tr it's the training of, uh, of the, the, the pastors and the clergy, through no fault of their own, simply don't understand mm. the the theological context, which is, I think, greatly being changed at the moment, which is wonderful, as to why it matters, why work matters as a matter of theology, why mm. calling matters as importantly as, you know, to more overt work, and therefore to find the support systems or to create the support systems for the business people, mm. for the professionals, to be able to share and work and, and work. And they don't have to answer the questions, but you need to create something which people mm. can grapple with both the theology and the mm. and the day-to-day -day issues of money and how to spend mm. it, how to make it, and uh, and not to shy away from it. Mm. Which I was reading a... a um article recently about it is about a theology of work and it's by a, I think it's an American Jesuit theologian called Edward Collins Vacek I think his name was and um, he, he was making the, the point that I guess traditionally Christians when they when they wanted to encounter God um, we tend to kind of well that means reading the Bible or going to church or, or praying or, or going to communion or, or whatever it might be or going on retreat yeah, yeah that's right and it probably doesn't mean going to work and um, he was drawing attention to this sort of dichotomy that you know, these religious activities are the place where we encounter God and work is somehow a different thing, which is, I guess, this division you're, you're talking about. And he was beginning to explore the whole thing of how you encounter God actually through work and uh, work as an arena in which God is active and, and in which God can be encountered. Um, and I, I was just wondering about how, you're, um, how you find that, how, how you encounter God during, yeah, actually through work as opposed to just through the more religious activities or um, that we... Well, I think I mean, that's a very important question. I do think the first thing you have to settle is a sort of bigger view. Because if you, mm. if you just plunge in and you start working and you say, well, you know what, I'm in the checkout counter of, of Sainsbury's or a supermarket, well, you know, what has that got to do with God's kingdom? Mm. You'll never be able to answer uh, the mm. questions. One has to sort of recognize that there is a bigger picture, that we are part of a system or whatever it is, not perfect, uh, in any way, none of them are, but which we can influence to change, which can deliver for the good a changing mm. society. Mm. Um, so I think that is a very important mm. first step. I think the second mm. is to you know just look at the nature of of our whole so, uh, corporate structure. Mm. We talk about partnerships. We talk about joint ventures. We talk about um, um, you know shareholders, people sharing. Um, wh mm. Where do these concepts come from? And, and in my view, of course, they come straight out of the beginning of the books of Genesis, of the creation mm. stories, that God actually came. He started saying, do you know what? It's better to mm. work in a partnership. It is better to draw benefits, drawing from the strengths of relative strengths. The moment you begin to see that as a, as a theological picture, you're not the isolated person in the workplace sitting mm. at your computer doing mm. your own thing, mm. but part of a God-given, wider mm. A partnership, joint venture, company, mm. all these, where these concepts come from, I think they come out of our theology. Mm. So I'm encouraged yeah. day to day mm. to say, if I were to test mm. me today, it's Monday morning, I've got the blues, why am I doing that? I'd like to be in Africa mm. Mm. and doing good. You know, it's hopeless.
But if you take a trend line of I'm working with others to achieve certain servant objectives, you kind of start heading towards the theology you're trying to help us with. And it is interesting, isn't it, that that um, the biblical creation accounts assume <coughs> that we're designed always to be people who work and rest, mm. and um, uh, and that work is not is not a regrettable necessity. It's part of how the world yeah, is we're, meant we're, to we're be. Made, we're yeah. made to work. We're yeah. not just made to rest and exactly, and, exactly. Uh, and do you think we're going to work in heaven? Um. I, well, of course, we need to ask Mike what heaven is, don't we? But if, <laughs> ah, but, yes. but if it's, yeah. if it's a new creation, creation. in the new creation, in the new creation, presumably, if 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 the, the original Garden of Eden story is true, there will still be a, a world yeah, that needs our, our, exactly. our tending absolutely. of it. It just won't be toilsome and difficult no, exactly. and, and and awkward, as it as a result of the fall. It's not, but and permanently not frustrated a, in yeah. the way that it currently is. And we yeah. will serve. Which is part of, you know, yes. the, you know, that real yeah. essence of work. Yeah. Is, and there's, mm. there's an element of, of work also, I guess, again, taking on the theme of the creation, that in some way work is this cooperation with others, but it's also a cooperation with God in the continual mm. creation and, and development and fulfillment of the world. I mean, partly... You know, working to undo the, the 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 effect of the fall, but also if creation is something that is made to be um, stewarded and, and and ordered and developed and and so on, then our work is in some way contributing to that agree, ongoing yeah. work of God. So therefore, you see it in that perspective, it suddenly becomes something which which is hugely vital. And for because your, it's more dynamic. <coughs> I mean, I think the danger is is the static world. You know, this is, world is a horrid place. Mm. Get in there, subdue it trash it in yep. the end he's going to return and restore it yeah yeah you know, so that can yep. have caricatured it i'm sure <laughs> uh, but, but it, you know that the dynamic nature of being able to see um creation continuing in and through mm. the work that we're mm. doing mm. invests the work that you're doing with a a, a purpose to it that is that has eluded us for a, you know, a long time mm. but now when vested actually enables us to to carry on day-to-day work, which is tough, which is difficult, and which mm. is stressful. Mm. And which is sometimes morally ambiguous. Morally I ambiguous. mean, one of the things you said... Sorry, Mike, I keep That's interrupting. Okay. One of the <laughs> things you said... I'm eminently worth interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> um, that I found very helpful was that no system is perfect. Uh, and therefore, I think a lot of Christians have thought, I, I, I really can't bear to think about the moral implications of the job that I'm doing. Um, because that, that every single system that, that we work in, even the church, <laughs> those of us who work for the church, has um, uh, aspects to it that, that are not right, are not perfect. Yeah. Um, and therefore, you can think, well, it's best just to keep my morals and my ethics and my um, faith out of that arena and not try to to pretend that faith influences work, but you're actually arguing a much more robust um, cooperation. I, think. Well, I am, Jane, and I'm also arguing a much more robust ethical. I mean, I think we need some work on the ethical side yeah. uh, done as well, because what has happened is we've got we've got specialisms everywhere in the world. So you're you've got cyber ethics, you've got medical ethics, you've got uh, a range of you know of, of, of subdivisions of ethics. Partly, I think, in order to avoid answering the macro questions, you know, instead of saying something is right or wrong, we say it's inappropriate or Mm -hmm. some (laughs) such useful word. Now, I think that that danger of atomizing the ethical debate is actually leading us into these immense difficulties of moral choice because we we don't see it as part of humanity. It's Mm -hmm. part of the way we live Mm -hmm. is to live Mm -hmm. as moral people Mm -hmm. in 
our workplaces, at home, at play, etc. Which itself raises a very interesting analogy, really, with what you were saying earlier about how a bad regime like the South African apartheid regime or Zimbabwe forces bad moral choices on people. Yeah. It's a sense in which cosmic fallenness does the same. It imposes bad moral choices on us, the, precisely the kind of moral compromise of which you were speaking, Jane, which is a, a facet of our life, a facet of Jesus' life. You know, the fact that uh, taxation was paid to the Roman Empire at the time um, yeah, involved Mike, him in the degree of Mike, if moral got, compromise. But be careful of cosmic moral choice, because the difficulty if you're in a regime like that or in a difficult moral area at work is it's very easy to say, I can't do anything about it. Mm. I can't escape from this entrapment, moral entrapment, that is caused by institutional um, you know, activity, whatever it might be, in demonic in some theologies or whatever mm. it is. Mm. I think we must always resist that, even in the smallest ways, to encourage people to make their moral gestures, yes. tiniest little things, mm. against... You know, the overall picture until, of course, it restores itself. Yeah, absolutely. Just because you can't do everything doesn't mean you can't do anything. Yeah, and and, yeah, the, exactly. and, and, the, yes. and the, what you can do does, does yes. matter. And one of the things I think about you know, drawing again on the creation narrative uh, human beings are made in the image of God. And if you're there in the checkout queue, you have a lot of people made in the image of God coming past you every day. Mm -hmm. And how you treat them, whether you treat them with that dignity and with that respect, mm -hmm. uh, whether you, in your coffee break, go and talk to the unpopular person who's also made in the image of God who was otherwise standing alone in the corner of the coffee room or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, you can actually do a huge amount um, to to reflect God's image, which is what we are called to be and do as human beings. Well, I guess the, the other aspect of that is the the kind of people we are becoming through the work that we do. That if if as you say, ninety percent of what we do or eighty percent of whatever is actually in our in our work, it's um, that shapes us in one way or another. And again, one of the one of the questions I found very interesting in this article I was reading recently was this question of what, to uh, becoming aware of what what virtues and vices tend to be encouraged by the kind of work that you do. And depending on different work that, that people are involved in, there are certain virtues that might be uh, virtues of creativity or, or generosity or kindness that might be encouraged by a certain kind of work, or, and, but there might be sort of vices on the other hand, and, and that will be different for different people. But that's another dimension of work, which is that work shapes us in ways that we, or, or the particular work that you do, shapes you in ways that we're often not, not but, but it's interesting, uh, Graham, the shaping of work, I, I understand that, because mm. you either shape or you, you'll be shaped. Mm. So there is an active dynamic mm. to, to that. But the one thing I've always, what I found is quite a revelation to me, was most people think that the work of the Spirit is to make us more religious. Um, <laughs> And actually, I think, you know, as, as, as you would, would, would be telling us, I'm sure, that the work of the Spirit is to make us more human. Oh. And that integrating mm. process by mm. which the Spirit of God, you know, is active, sure, on Sunday our evenings mm. in ecstatic mm. experiences of some churches and traditions, mm. um, but actually active day-to-day mm. -day in yep. humanizing a dehumanized mm. environment, which is what the workplace has mm. become. Mm. It, you know the levels of, of stress and depression and and anxiety. We know all about that. Mm. Um, the indecisions, the lack of commitment, the determine. You know to mm. try and hit your your deadlines and knowing that they're impossible to uh, to to do. 
has a dehumanizing effect of it. Mm. And so therefore for us, this whole question of rehumanizing mm -hmm. as being an intensely spiritual experience, mm. not sort of language we normally use, mm. is I think coming to the foreground in a very powerful way. Yeah. And that is part of that cooperation mm. in creation that makes the workplace mm. a more meaningful, a, more a place yeah. where you want to be. And it, it just draws attention again to the, the, the sense that you know, if, if you know, a large pop, part of our life is spent at, at work and actually work is shaping us in some way, way or another and, and shaping other people around it, it's again seeing work as an arena in which the Holy Spirit is at work. Um, rather than just in church and worship and, and everything else, that perhaps one of the main ways in which the Spirit shapes us and changes us actually is through the work that we that we do which is why I, you know i've got that catch line of my workstation is my worship station yeah yeah now that has a sort of certain <laughs> overtones of uh, <laughs> excessive calvinist zeal but i think you know what i mean yeah which is a whole other area would be fascinating to talk about the whole kind of work ethic side of things maybe next time we get you back we'll talk about that but um we're coming towards the end of our time any uh, mike you're looking at me in um uh, no I, it's just way. i'm remembering something that simon dan said to our students at uh, this last week which bearing on precisely that calvinist uh, kind of work ethic thing which was that the, the most the biggest pastoral need that most people in london have is a good night's sleep yep. um, and i think there's some truth to that and that's one of the vices that comes particularly from a job that you really enjoy uh, is a tendency to give it more than its fair share sure, yeah. um, and and to squeeze out other important aspects of what it is to be human like yeah. the need for rest and our physicality and that sort of thing well, we should uh, wrap up because um, the wonderful Keith, who organises our um, our uh, sound, is, is looking at us here because the place where we are meeting is a chapel in HTB, uh, which is about to have a service in it. So uh, we need to we're, we're about about to be evicted. So um, we better move on quickly. But uh, Ken, thank you so much for coming yes. and joining us. Thank you very much. Very. Very good to, no, to been, talk to all of you. It's been very good. And um, uh, we've got a, a couple of God Pods coming up. And uh, one of our guests quite soon is um, Professor Andrew Walker, who is um, Professor of Theology at uh, King's College London. Uh, has written a number of books. And um, uh, maybe you want to look up some of his books on Amazon. And if there's anything related to that you'd like to ask him, do um, feed in questions that uh, you have. We'll try and see if we can get him to answer some of those um, again thank you to, to all of those who, of you who've emailed in questions and uh, again we're sorry we can't answer all of them and uh, we will be getting around to some of them in due course but um, that I think is the end of um, uh, God Pod 34 I can hear an organ playing in the background <laughs> or maybe it's the heavenly Definitely angels coming for us it's a hint that we're about to finish so again thank you Ken very much and uh, goodbye from all of us thank you goodbye bye, bye. that was God Pod a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye.